We are almost finished in our series on the letter to Titus. The letter to Titus is a short little letter. It's just three chapters, and we are nearing the end. Not this week, but next week will be our final message on the letter to Titus. And, and if you're new to the church, what we do is we just preach expositorily. We preach through passage by passage, verse by verse, through different books of the Bible generally. And so we are completing our study in the letter to Titus. So go ahead and turn over in the letter to Titus if you have a Bible with you. If you don't, look on with somebody beside you. And last week we looked at Titus 3, verses 3 through 8. And we saw them again this morning that Philip put them up on the slides that really talked about who we once were and who we now are in Jesus Christ. Who we once were is we were lost. We ourselves were foolish and disobedient. And now who we are in Jesus, he has made us new in him and that we're a new creation in Christ Jesus. And, and we celebrate the grace of God that compels us or motivates us to do good works. We're not saved by good works, but we're saved two good works. And so we looked at that last week. And so this week we'll be looking at verses 9 through 11 and focusing on Titus 9 to 11 with the foundation of the grace of God that we've received. Marveling last week at the, the grace of God that we've received that changed us from who we once were and made us who we are in Christ. And now what we see here is a warning. So let's turn in, in our Bibles to Titus 3 verses 9 to 11. This is God's holy, inspired word. But avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. As for a person who stirs up division after warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with them knowing that such a person is warped and sinful, he is self-condemned. Let's pray. Father, thank you for every part of your word. God, we acknowledge that, that passages like this are difficult. They are uncomfortable. They are not easy for us. But Lord, thank you that the basis for all admonishment, all encouragement, all correction is the the grace that we've received in you. God, thank you for your good news, which has made us alive in you, that has transformed us and causes us to live differently in response. God, thank you that these are your very words, and I pray that your words would have an effect and an impact on us this morning, that we'd respond to your words by your grace. God, I pray that you would empower me as I speak, that everyone here would be filled with your spirit as I speak as well. By you, by your Holy Spirit, because of your Son, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so I want to start off this morning asking a poll. Take a quick poll. Raise your hands. You know, you don't have to, I'm not going to record anything here, but who here thought about their plumbing this morning? Anybody, anybody thought, of, thought about your plumbing? You were really just meditating on your plumbing, Chris. All right, good. You know, it's not something you think about much unless there's issues. I don't want to go into detail, but there might have been issues, right? So, you know, plumbing's not one of those things that we think about a lot. You know, um, but how many of you benefited from plumbing this morning? Anybody? How many benefited from plumbing? I hope everybody benefited from plumbing this morning. To some, I mean, really, I hope everybody here benefited from plumbing or there's going to need to go and benefit from plumbing. 
you know, we benefit from plumbing in our house. We don't think about it a lot. It's not something we talk about a lot. We, we get tap water. We rinse. We wash dishes. We, we shower and all the like that's associated with that. It's one of those things that's good, but we don't talk about a lot. But we, we need to keep the plumbing in good working order if we're going to use it and benefit from it. And, and you know, I, I was thinking about this, this passage, and it's a little bit like the plumbing. You know, uh, you ever have a clog in your drain in your sink, in your kitchen sink, and I, I don't know what happens, you, you know, food that's otherwise normally good, it goes into the drain, but when it gets clogged up and you pull that trap off, something has happened to that food, and it is not good, and, you know, it might have been Cheerios going down, but when you pull it off, it makes you want to throw up, it is awful, <laughs> um, and, and, but yet, it, you know, our kids, we, we try to tell them, hey, you know what, avoid putting stuff down the drain, avoid, uh, you know, use those little traps, hey, those little traps, those are not just for looks. They're not, you know, they're, they're not for toys. They're, they're to put in the bottom of the sink to, to catch all the food that we rinse off. So they're good things. They'll avoid putting food down the drain because it causes problems. And yet, at the same time, we know that my wife and I, the job is normally left to us. The kids don't do that. But it's left to us to, to pull the trap out and clean it out when it gets clogged up. It's necessary. You might be thinking, oh, man, I'm, I'm, are we going to hear a whole message about plumbing this morning? Well, thankfully, No. Thankfully, no. Now, if you're a plumber, you might be like, yes, that'd be great, finally. I'm, my business is being addressed in church. Well, we're grateful for you if you are a plumber. But if you've ever cleaned out a trap under a sink, it's not pleasant, it's smelly, it, it's, it's not necessarily something you like to talk about. But you know what? In the church, these things are necessary to talk about maintenance in the church, repairs in the church. What do you do? How do you avoid clogging the life of the church up. How do you avoid division? How do you avoid problems in the church? And what do you do when division does occur in the church? And so the Apostle Paul, he has been giving instructions to Titus in this little letter, this three-chapter letter. He's been giving instructions to Titus about how to set in order the things in the church. And we've been hearing all about the foundation of the doctrine, the teaching of the good news of Jesus Christ is foundational, and everything flows from that. And then he's been talking about protecting the church, setting elders in place. And he started talking about the results of sound doctrine having an effect on our lives, changing us so that by God's grace, we want to go and do good works. Why? So that people can be affected by the gospel. But now Paul, as he's getting towards the end of this little letter, he is aware there is a danger that we need to talk about. So it's, it's not an often talked about passage. Actually, I don't know if I've ever heard a, 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 a message on this passage in the Bible, but we are committed to the centrality of Scripture and that all the Scriptures God breathes. And so this morning, it's a little bit about like plumbing. Um, we need to avoid some things, the Apostle Paul is talking about, avoid some things going into the church. And what do you do when things get clogged up? What do you do when things happen that aren't good in the church? How do you address those things? And, and so what really the, the main idea we're going to see in this passage is that we must avoid divisiveness but address a divisive person for the sake of our gospel witness. That's the context that we find this in. We have to avoid divisiveness. And, and you know, it, we can be uneasy talking about this, right? But let's not be uneasy. This is because God cares about, he loves the church. God cares about and loves the gospel going forth and the message going forth. But there is a danger. Our gospel witness, our gospel message, it can be hindered 
if there's division in the church. And so Paul, he's aware of those things. He's aware of the reality that we're human, and there we will be tempted to divisiveness. And so he says we must avoid divisiveness. So on one hand, you avoid divisiveness, but if there's a divisive person, you don't avoid the divisive person. You address a divisive person for the sake of our gospel witness. And so we'll see in, in verse 9, the really the, that's the main idea of verse 9, is we must avoid divisiveness in the church. Look down your Bibles in verse 9. It says, but avoid foolish controversies. He gives, he gives four types of things, four types of divisive speech or teaching that we need to avoid. And he says, but avoid foolish controversies, avoid dissensions, genealogies, and then quarrels or arguments about the law. Avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions or strife, and then also quarrels about the law. And, and avoid them, it, it, that word it carries the meaning of, of kind of turning away, going away from something. It's a present imperative. It requires a constant and continual vigilance. Uh, as an example, we love to go hiking in Conestee Park. If anybody knows where Conestee Park is, about 15 minutes from here, it's, it's beautiful. They've reclaimed land that was once a super fun site, and it's beautiful. They have all kinds of trails everywhere, and some of those trails are narrow. And imagine you're walking down one of those narrow trails in the woods, and then you come upon a pit full of rattlesnakes and filled to the brim with rattlesnakes. What do you, what do, you do with that? Well, you don't say, oh, you know what? I think I'm going to, like, get in there. You'd be a fool yourself. You know what? I think I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go investigate those rattlesnakes. I'm going to poke around in there. I'm going to go and see what it's like in that pit full of rattlesnakes. Well, you wouldn't do that. You wouldn't be very smart if you did, and you might not live if you did. You need to avoid. And that, that word avoid, it's, it's got some meaning to avoid. Go away from, turn around, get away from that. Head the other way if you come across that. It's the same kind of wording he uses here. We, we avoid, but avoid. It's, it's got danger there. Avoid, turn away from that, those pit of rattlesnakes, foolish controversy, genealogy, dissensions, quarrels about the law. Paul commands us to Titus, proactively avoid these kinds of discussions. Insist, though, on the kind of teaching that leads to good deeds, but now avoid the kind of teaching that divides. That's what he just told us in the, in the verses 3 through 8 is insist on the kind of teaching that's good, it's profitable, it leads to good deeds, it's profitable for everybody. Now in contrast, we have profitable things. He says, but i got to tell you about something. There's something unprofitable. There's something unprofitable, and what's unprofitable is this kind of divisiveness. And so he says, but avoid these things. And now in your English Bible, you, you might not see it because there's he has little commas there, but in the original, in the Greek language, there's actually an and in between each one of these words. They're not all linked together, all pointing to the law necessarily, but they're, they're, there's an and word in the middle of each of those. So it's foolish controversies and genealogies and dissensions and quarrels about the law. So we see there's kind of four different categories of speech or teaching to avoid. And the first one he says to avoid is foolish controversies. It can also be translated as debate or speculation. New Testament. You know, there, there are kinds of debates that are foolish to engage in. There's kinds of speculation that is foolish to engage in. And, and, and I know, know what you know what I'm talking about. You ever, you ever heard somebody who's debating something foolish? And you're thinking, man, that is not gonna, that's not going to lead anywhere positive. That's not going to benefit anybody. 
or they're speculating about things that they have no business speculating about or speculating foolishly uh, about matters that won't profit or benefit. That's what Paul's talking about here. You know, it doesn't mean that all controversies, all debates, or all, all things are not profitable. He's talking about foolish controversies. You know, there's kind of controversy that's actually good. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about foolish controversies. It's an important modifier to that word. Foolish. What kind of controversies? Foolish controversies. There are controversies that we are grateful for in the church. I know that might be shocking, but you know what? I'm grateful for a guy named Martin Luther. A long time ago, who he posted some controversy. He posted some controversy. He was saying, hey, I, I don't think that the selling of indulgences is right. It's not right for the Pope to say, hey, you know what? It's okay to sin if you pay me for it. That was a good controversy, right? He's not talking about good doctrinal controversies, scripture-based, that are good for the church, that actually help the church figure out doctrine. And what he's saying is foolish controversies that don't lead to the edification building up of the church. You know, it's foolish is an example to engage in a controversy about whether or not to dress up and wear formal, formal clothes to church. That doesn't lead to edification. You know, you know, I think it's absolutely right. The pastor has to wear a three-piece suit, and if he doesn't, then something's wrong. Well, is that a good controversy to engage in? Well, I'd say no. That's a foolish controversy. There are other kinds of foolish controversies. You know, whether music should have a specific style or beat, or lack thereof to be considered spiritual or scriptural. There are controversies that are foolish to engage in. Proverbs 18.2 and, and Proverbs 13, both foolish speech. When it, the Bible talks a lot about foolish speech, and, and actually Proverbs, all throughout Proverbs, it talks about foolish speech. And he talks about foolish speech in Proverbs is when a person's not trying to understand but just expresses his opinion. You ever been around people like that? Maybe we, you, maybe we are people like that. I hope not. You know, foolish speech is somebody just expressing their opinion or, or answering before listening or Include somebody who's not really seeking to listen, but just to make their point known. It is foolish to engage in those kinds of controversies or debates or discussions. When we're getting together with somebody else, and, and they're not interested in hearing, they're not interested in listening, and they just want to make their opinion known, um, it is not good to engage in those kinds of foolish controversies. Proverbs ten eighteen: somebody is foolish if they utter slander. So foolish controversy also includes controversy or debate that's slanderous in content. We must avoid all such discussions. Also talks about babbling talk. Now guys, it doesn't mean when your wife talks a lot. That's not, that's not what that means. It, means. it means kind of babbling talk with no content that goes on with no point. To engaging in discussions that don't really have a point, a controversy, an argument about something you don't have a point. He says, don't do that. That causes division in the church. Avoid those kinds of controversies. And the next category teaching is to, to Titus is not one that we struggle with today, but genealogies. Avoid foolish controversies about genealogies. We don't know exactly what these genealogies were, but it was probably related to an esoteric Jewish sect that they would trace back based on extra-biblical literature. They would trace back the genealogy of all these biblical heroes and, and, and derive meaning from that. And so he says, avoid that kind of thing. Avoid those foolish controversies genealogies. But you know what? Although those kinds of genealogies don't divide us, what can divide us is human genealogies. Where you are from, what family you come from, what background you are from, what, what country you are from, what color of your skin. Those things can divide 
um, don't be divided by those kinds of things. And then the third category of discussion he gives is dissensions. And you know, that's the same word that's often translated as strife. Dissensions or strife. Getting the arguments, being brutish and argumentative. The Cretan culture that the Apostle Paul is writing to Titus about, it was full of people who loved to argue for argument's sake. They loved to, to argue and debate. They were brutish. They spoke evil of each other. And he says, don't do those kinds of things. Earlier in Titus, he says, avoid quarreling. Be gentle in your speech. So perfect courtesy to all people. And so now he's just kind of further elaborating. What does it look like to avoid quarreling? Well, avoid dissensions. Avoid strife. Those kinds of conversations. Because of the kindness that Jesus Christ has shown to them. They were to show kindness and speech to those around them. And it's, it's easy, though, to get into dissension. It's easy to, to, for strife to crop up. And so he says, avoid dissensions, the kind of disagreements that lead to discord. And, you know, I was thinking about we can often be tempted to dissensions and to strife that lead to discord and antagonism or bitterness or resentment. It's so easy to become offended when we don't get what we want. Aaron talked about that a couple weeks ago when he says, why are there quarrels and fights? We're for fights. It's, it comes from the same grouping here of dissensions. Why are there dissensions? Why are there fights among us? Well, we're wanting something, we don't get it. You ever, you ever have something you want, you don't get? I know I do. I mean, it happens almost every day. Almost every day, there are things that I want that I'm not getting. And he says, avoid conversations or dissensions or splitting or, or having divisions based on disagreements. Strife that leads to discord, antagonism. Don't let those things creep in. Don't let anger have a foothold. And don't feed the fire of offense that leads to strife. You know, Proverbs 29, 22 says, A man of wrath stirs up strife. And one given to anger causes much transgression. You know, you're, we're, we're going to disagree with people, right? I mean, if you are a human, you will disagree with other humans. If you're not a human, I'm concerned because I don't know how you're here. But if you're a human, if you live long enough, disagreement is going to happen. But it doesn't have to re result in strife. He's not saying it's, it's not okay to disagree. He's saying don't get into dissensions or division and strife. Loving others in moments of disagreement, it might look like overlooking an offense. Proverbs 10, 12, he says, hatred stirs up strife. But love covers all offenses. So, so what is he, is he putting the application here? It's the same principle there. He says, you know, have kind speech towards other people in the beginning of, of Titus 3. And this is what it looks like. It looks like avoiding dissensions and, and loving other people by, by covering offenses. Just avoiding, not getting into those discussions. It doesn't mean ignoring. It just means not, not getting into dissensions, divisions, strife. The next category he gives us is avoiding quarrels about the law. Now for most of us, we don't have that issue with the laws today. But in this day, in that church, there were issues in that church where people had come in and said, you have to do certain practices in order to be pure. You have to look a certain way, talk a certain way, do certain things, eat certain things, not eat other things in order to be pure and acceptable to God. And so don't engage, avoid them. Don't even get into that. Don't even get into those quarrels. Don't get into those quarrels about the law. But you know, we, we, can, we can subtly do those things today. 
we can argue about secondary or tertiary, you know, second level or third level differences and get into quarrels about them. Now, it's, it's fine to have disagreements and actually to do, discuss those things. It can be good and helpful. But, you know, maybe for an example today, you know, our, our church, we believe in the baptism of believers as a response. When we are born again, when we respond to God in faith, one thing that God calls us to do, one of the things, the first things He calls us to do in obedience is to respond and be baptized. We believe that. We think that's scriptural. At the same time, there are others who are Bible-believing Christians. They can, they do differ, and some would hold to a different doctrine of what's called infant baptism or pedo-baptism. It includes a lot of my friends and people I greatly respect and love, and I know they love Jesus with all their hearts, and they're living lives of godly examples. They bring glory to God in how they live. We're not to get into the endless quarrels about those things. Now, there is a reason why our churches not believe that. We're not part of churches that believe that way. That's, that's okay, that's healthy, that's good. But when I have friends and I get together with them and I know that they're infant Baptists, I, I, I don't go to them and, and make that the topic of conversation with everything we talk about. I've got a friend, Mel Duncan, across town, and, and when I get together with Mel, I'm not going to say, hey, Mel, let's just talk about why you're wrong and why I'm right. But you know, there's something in us that wants to do that at times. He says, avoid those types of things. We can avoid those types of matters and humbly even disagree. But it's not permissible to quarrel about matters of the law. And Paul gives two reasons for, for avoiding all of these kinds of disagreements, divisions, and dissensions. He talks, he says, you know, here's, here's two reasons why we should avoid these foolish controversies, these dissensions, these, these quarreling about the law. Avoid these things for two reasons. He says they're unprofitable, they don't benefit, and they're worthless. They're unprofitable. The kind of teaching that leads to good deeds, he says, is excellent. It profits everyone. But this kind of stuff, these divisions, these dissensions, these quarrels about these little parts of the law, genealogies, it's unprofitable. It doesn't lead to a healthy church. It doesn't lead to a good Christian witness. It's, it doesn't lead people to respond to the gospel. It's unprofitable. He says good deeds, they're profitable. Why are they profitable? Well, good deeds are profitable because God works in us. He sanctifies us. Good deeds are profitable because they lead others to see that our lives are different. We're living for something different, and they profit because they, they create a context for us to share the gospel. He says, this kind of stuff, though, it's the reverse of that. You want to kill your Christian witness? Be divisive. You want to make a church unprofitable? You want to make a church so it doesn't profit the community around it? Be divisive. He says, these things are unprofitable. Unfortunately, there are unprofitable churches because they're engaged in these things. Let us not be unprofitable. He says also it's worthless. You know in the Old Testament, the, the term for worthless, it was directly tied to idolatry. Worshiping another God. It's worthless. And why does he use that word? Because I think it's tied to the fact that when we're engaged in this kind of divisive conversation and speech, often it's because we are having idols that we're worshiping. He says, it's worthless, just like worthless idols. He strongly warns against those kinds of discussions. This should serve as a strong warning for us today as well. So ask yourself, you know, well, hang on, let me, let me consider. Am I engaged or do I engage in foolish controversies? What's my speech look like? 
I don't think it's an issue in this church. I don't think there's problems in the church. I'm not addressing anything specific. This is just the next passage in the Bible. But every passage in the Bible is meant for us to consider. Every passage in the Bible has an effect. Not, not every verse in every way applies to us in every way, but we're to consider, hey, this is God's Word, and God's Word always speaks. So let me consider and evaluate myself. Am I engaged in foolish controversies with my friends and people in the church and small group or at work? Am I engaged in foolish controversies? What's my Christian witness look like? When I go to work and other people there are talking about ridiculous controversies, do I engage in those things or do I say, you know what, I'm going to avoid them for the sake of my Christian witness? And you think of that. At school, you engage in foolish controversies. In your community, all around you, do you engage in foolish controversies? Do you engage in dissensions? Quarrels about the law? Well, not only is Paul command Titus to avoid those kinds of things, he has specifically negative context. He also says what to do when you encounter others who stir up that those things. What, what, what do you do, though? So, avoid these things. Don't get involved in those things. And so, as a church, it's meant to be protection for us from being divisive and divisive people. But if, he says, you know, but if, if you have a person who stirs up these kinds of things, who stirs up division, what do you do? Look in verse 10 at what he says. He says, address or admonish, warn. All, all kind of the same word. Address, admonish, warn, address a divisive person. As a church, one of the duties that, that Aaron and I have as elders is to address these kinds of things. This command was given to Titus as an apostolic delegate, and by inference is given to the elders in the church. He's to give this commission to the elders in the church, and by inference it's also to be given to the people in the church, but primarily the responsibility of leaders in the church to do what is very challenging. I don't think either Aaron or I or, or anyone else, any other leader in the church, likes warning or addressing a divisive person. I don't think we ever should like it. But it's for the good of the church. And so we need messages like this say, you know what? We love God's grace so much that we're not going to let anything affect our gospel witness and how we live it out. We love the church so much that we need to be careful to not let anything affect the church and the church's witness, and so we must address a divisive person. Now listen, there's, there's a place. Don't be paranoid, okay? There's a place for loving, genuine, humble disagreement in the body of Christ. Okay, there's, there's a place for that. That's good, it can be healthy. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about somebody who's divisive, who's stirring up division. They're having these discussions behind the scenes. They're stirring up these kind of conversations. They're undermining the leaders of the church. They're undermining the unity of the church. They are affecting the unity of the church by kind of whispers. Now, sometimes it's not whispers. It's just out loud. He's not talking about just good Christian disagreement where you can discuss and you can differ. And you can say, you know, I have these convictions. And you say, I don't have those convictions. Let's talk about what the Bible says and let's come together and be humble. We can still walk away fully supportive of each other in full faith and participate together in unity of the church. It's not what he's talking about. He's talking about people who are stirring up division. You know, there's a range of things the Bible does not address that's not clearly prescribed, and they're also, neither are not clearly prescribed, but they're not also sinful either. You know, I was thinking in our church that we, we believe we have these things called small groups that we call care groups, Right? If you're going to look up a verse in the Bible, 
you will never find a verse on care groups, ever. So why do we do it? Well, we, it's, it's an application for us. We believe it is the best way that we have found for us as a church to help care for, to extend not only practical care, pastoral care, to get to know each other, to have fellowship, to do all the, all the 44 some odd one another's in the church, for us to do those things together. But it's okay if you say, you know what, I don't want a church that has small groups. That's okay. And you have a choice. If you're in this church, you have a choice. And I don't mean this is like a hard line, but you have a choice. Okay, you know, I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't love the practice of small groups. I would rather get together on Wednesday night and hear preaching. Some churches love to do that, and I get that. Aaron and I love that we don't have to do that. I mean, that we don't get to do that. I mean, and, um, and but it's okay if you feel differently. That's all right. You can say, you know, I've got a choice. Either I can say, you know what, I'm going to participate in these care groups for the sake of the good of the body. I'm going to love the people in the church, and I'm going to support the body anyway. Or it's okay to say, you know what, I'm, I'm going to find a church that has midweek teaching. It does something else instead. That'd be okay. It'd be good if you're if we cause you to stumble by our practices that it's okay to differ on. Then it, it can be good to say, you know what, I need to go somewhere else. But 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 you can do that in a such a way that you're not causing division. And you can also be a part of a, a small group or a care group or some other practice. And I don't think anybody here struggles with care groups, so I so I use that as an example because I think it's relatively innocuous. But you can see you know what I, I I don't I don't love that. But you know what, I'm going to just love God, and I'm going to submit to God, and out of my submission for God, I, I can do these things that I don't necessarily think are the best. And you, you can do something in a way that's not divisive and also doesn't violate your conscience. But it wouldn't be okay if you respond and say, you know what, can you believe they do small groups in that church? Why in the world do we do small groups? And hey, don't you hate the way we do small Don't you hate small groups in the church? And what we should really do is this other more, far more superior practice. Well, that's somebody causing division, right? You see the difference there? So in Titus, somebody who stirs up division isn't somebody who's lovingly disagreeing and comes to Titus in private and brings a disagreement to somebody. It's somebody who voices displeasure, disparagement, discouragement, disagreement with those around them. They plant seeds of dissatisfaction. They get others on their side. They cause factions. And that's, that's the word here. It's somebody who is, is factious. He splits people off. Paul says, don't ignore that. Don't ignore that. Somebody like this who causes factions, they're determined. I like the way that Edmund... Hebrews says, determined to go their own way and so forms parties and factions. That's a divisive person. John MacArthur says, the kind of person who's a law unto themselves. Paul says, don't ignore that. You know, it's easy to ignore a divisive person. But we ignore a divisive person to the detriment of the church. And he says, don't do that. Don't, don't ignore them. No, no, no. Lovingly warn them. And that, that word for warning, by the way, it's the exact same word that's used when it says, fathers admonish or instruct your children. So it's not this harshness that we're called to do. We're say, warn them, admonish them, address them, lovingly say, hey, for your good, this is not good. You, you, you might be engaged in divisive things, and I think you're engaged, from my perspective, it seems like you're engaged in these divisive things, and it seems like you're being divisive here. We, we need to bring this to you so that you stop it so it's not good for your own soul, it's not good for the church. We need to warn you. I was thinking about what does it mean to stir something up? You know, we, we get to, once a year, we get to go up to family. They have a place up in Lake Anna in Virginia, and we get to go and stay with them, and we get to do snorkeling. The water's perfect. There's no sharks. It's great. 
And you can snorkel in the water and you can see all kinds of little fish around the dock and that kind of stuff. But at the bottom of the lake, it's this, I don't even know what to call it, it's this stuff. At the bottom is full of sediment and mud and muck. And so if you're snorkeling all nicely and then one of the kids comes down like, and puffs in the bottom there, it stirs up all this garbage and, and you can't see. It makes the water cloudy and you're like, well, that was pointless. Might as well not snorkel for at least 20 minutes before the stuff kind of settles down. And it's that same kind of, that same kind of view as this person who stirs up. They stir up, they dredge up stuff. They, they stir up division. They make it so it's not easy to see, so it's cloudy. It, it makes the mission of the church foggy. You might begin by saying, hey, what do you really think about what that guy said? What do you really think? When that person in your small group said this, why do you think he said what he did? That's stirring up. If you have a question about why somebody else said what they said, you should go to somebody else and not go to someone, a third party, and and speculate and stir up the division. That's what he's talking about. A person stirs up division. He says, no, 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 no. Um, Don't allow that. Address, warn somebody. Why, Why do you think that person really left the church, you know? We had Joe and Roxy. They went to do a church plant, you know, and be part of church replant last week. And the simple offer was good, but you know, speculation or something like this. She said, "Why do you think they really left?" So just go and ask Joe and Roxy. Call them up. He says, "Don't don't allow the kind of division, divisiveness that tears a church apart, that undermines it, causes factions. It's not helpful speculation." The person may be somebody who stirs up division, a factious person by seeking to gather people to their point of view. You know, maybe, maybe you disagree with something. Maybe you have a point you disagree with. Or, you know, and, and, and you have somebody in your circle, and they're trying to, to draw away people to that way of thinking. That's, that causes division. Hey, if you have a different way of thinking, and you know, the leader of the church and the church teaches something differently, that's fine. It's not fine to draw people away. It's unhelpful. Address some person. Warn them. You know, this goes along with when he talked about elders must be able to refute. This is what it looks like. An elder must be able to refute those who practice things not in accord with sound doctrine. This is not in accord with sound doctrine. This is the application of the beginning of Titus. This is the application of that. Address them. And then he says something that doesn't sit well with us, right? Look down your Bibles. In verse 10, that latter part of verse 10, what happens? He says, after warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with him. After warning him once and then twice, if nothing more to do. Now, now, this commandment is primarily given to Titus and now to the leaders in the church. So this is not when, when people do things that we do not like. And we tell them, hey, man, you did something I didn't like, and I warned you twice, and I'm, I'm done with you. This, that's not what this passage is about. Don't wrongly apply that, okay? Don't wrongly use it as justification to not have fellowship with somebody because they don't like coffee, and you warned them about that twice, how that's sinful, and... Sorry, that's not sinful if you don't like coffee. It's just weird. But um, I'm not being serious. It's fine. My wife hates coffee, and I love her deeply. And when I first met her, she didn't even like dark chocolate. But now I've converted her, so I'm kind of I'm hoping that one day she'll come along and like coffee too. But she likes tea anyway. Sorry, that's not that's not in the notes. This is a person who is causing a division in the church. He says, warn them once, and then twice, and then have nothing more to do with them. Now, in our culture today, it's a culture around us of inclusivism. It bristles with about this kind of thing. But this is for the sake of the church. 
This is for the sake of the gospel. And, and let me be clear, this isn't about everybody being on a lockstep. And Paul's not saying everybody must agree on everything in the church. That's not what he's talking about here. We want to encourage good discussion. We want to encourage. We disagree. Let's talk about it. Let's hear that. We want to hear those things. It's not about shutting down legitimate discussion or loving discourse when we can engage humbly and respectfully and love each other heartily afterwards. This is when someone's causing division. And you know what? It's not that there can't be legitimate disagreement in church. In fact, I would bet no matter what church you go to, whatever church you find, there will be things you disagree with. I'm sure of that. I'm positive about it. Why? Because all of us are different, and that's good. In fact, what a wonderful, beautiful testimony it is to the grace of God. It highlights the diversity of the grace of God. When, when all of us who are very different, we have a myriad of preferences, we have a myriad of different practices, different perspectives, different things we enjoy, when we can come together in unity. And that's what he's talking about. Let's not threaten that beautiful testimony of the grace of God. It's a great testimony of the grace of God when I might disagree with Aaron and we get together and we say, you know what? We're going to decide on a course of action in the church and we might not fully 100% be on board with each other, but you know what? For the sake of gospel unity, we're going to be in this together. And, and, I, and I love when people get together. When, and you're in a small group. Hopefully you're in a small group of people who are not like you, don't think like you, don't practice like you, don't look like you, don't talk like you. I hope so. And I hope we hear from each other, but... What a testimony to the grace of God when, when we can get together in unity. That's why he's talking about avoid this, avoid a device, address a person who's divisive because it threatens the unity of your church. And it's beautiful when you have unity in a church. David even saw this way back in Psalm 133. He says, Behold how good and pleasant it is with brothers to dwell together in unity. And when you've been a part of a body of believers and there is unity in that body in the midst of diversity, Unity in the midst of differences. Unity in the midst of all kinds of practices. It is a beautiful thing, and it testifies the grace of God, doesn't it? I pray that would be our testimony. That's, that's why Paul's writing this. Ephesians, Paul, he, the same guy, the same author of Titus, he wrote about the manifold, or the, the diversity of the wisdom of God, the multifaceted, the manifold diversity of the wisdom of God being displayed in the church that's made up of all kinds of members with all kinds of different gifts. He's not talking about no differences. He said, don't cause division in the midst of differences. And we need a variety of perspectives in our church. And we need people to think. We need dialogue. We need to engage in, in robust theological discussions at times. And we can have different perspectives and opinions and different practices and, and, and preferences. And we need iron sharpening iron. That's not what Paul's talking about here. You know, I'm glad that our leadership team, when we get together once a month with all of the leaders in the church, Aaron and I and, and the advisory team and the finance team and all our deacons in the church, we get together once a month. And when we get together, we don't always agree on everything. And that's really good. And it's a comfort to Aaron and I. Sometimes it's a unpleasant comfort when our finance team or our advisory team, when they don't always see things the same way. But you know what? There's security and safety and comfort in that. It's not what Paul's talking about. Somebody who causes division. You know, what I love, too, is that although we have a diverse leadership team and that we don't always see things in the exact same way, you know what I love? We're all for each other. We're all committed to unity. We're all committed to not allowing division and divisiveness to creep in. 
And I love that your, your leaders are not afraid to speak up, to rebuke, to correct, to disagree, to give advice, because none of us are perfect. None of us see clearly. And you should love it too, by the way, because we all benefit. But, but what he's talking about here, he's not trying to shut down dialogue. He's, he's addressing people who stir up division, who, who bring up differences and highlight those differences and use those differences to their advantage or bring people to their point of view or try to accumulate followers because of that or or insidious, where they, they have these divisive kinds of conversations and defend, dissensions and, and quarrels about the law and those kinds of things. He says, don't ignore that, though, because that threatens the gospel unity of the church and the gospel witness and testimony that we have. And then he says, Titus, don't be afraid to do that. Don't do that, but here's why. When you do that, don't feel like you're condemning them. Look in verse 11. He says, warn them, and you do that confidently knowing... That such a person is warped, if they continue, you warn them, you, the elders get together, you meet with this, these people, you say, you know what, um, you're causing some division here. We want to warn you. We want to help you. We want to bring you back. And then they, they continue. And then you, you, you meet with them again. And you say, we want to warn you. We want to bring you back. We love you. This is not good for you. It's not good for the church. And yet, and then a third time they do that, he says, I have nothing to do with them. He says, now don't feel like you're condemning them. He says, know that such a person is warped and sinful. It's not on you He's self-condemned. You know, if, you, if you've ever built a building and you go and you get a stack of lumber from Home Depot and you bring it home, and, and I know this might not be relatable to a lot of the people in the church, but we did that a few years ago, and um, when you get a, a board out, you pull out a stack, and you're like, oh my gosh, this board is warped. It is no good. It's not a good example. I can't use this, and it's, it's not something good for a plumb line. I can't measure the other boards by it. I need to have nothing to do with that board. I'm going to set it aside. I'm not going to give it a place in my building. He says, if you warn them and have nothing to do with them, know that that person is warped on their own. They are sinful. They have demonstrated they're sinful because they're not responding or repenting. That's what he's saying. So what you're doing is you're giving them over because they're refusing to repent. They're sinful. And then he says they're self-condemned. You're not condemning them. This is not mean-spirited. This is not condemnation. They have condemned. They have... They have brought judgment or guilt on themselves by this behavior. They pronounce their own guilt. They refuse to respond to warnings, so they're being removed from the church. So, so why does Paul command all these things? Just think about that for a second. Why, why in the world is this passage here? Last week was so happy, right? Last week was so good. We heard about, hey, the grace of God appeared, and he saved us. God transformed us. We once were foolish and ignorant, and now that's not who we are, and now he's changed us. So, Paul, why are you, why are you getting like all depressing now? Why are you getting like this? Well, it's for the good of the church, because the witness and the message that the church has and the church has been commissioned with is, is essential. The gospel witness of the church is at stake, and Paul says... I want you to proclaim the gospel of God's grace that results in good works and insist on that because that's profitable. At the same time, you need to be aware. I want to warn you about the unprofitable things. Why? Because I want you to proclaim the grace of God that is profitable. So don't let these things get in the way of what's profitable. This kind of discussion and debates, they sidetrack a church. And unfortunately, been a part of times when when churches have been sidetracked by this kind of divisive speech. 
makes the church ineffective. It ruins the witness of the church. It takes away from the church's mission. It takes away from the gospel mission. Go back. I'm going to flip over in Titus. Go back to Titus 3. I want to remind you about the passage in Titus 3, verse 3 through We'll be a long course. We don't have this on the overhead, so look in your Bibles if you have them. Look almost somebody else if you don't. Titus 3 3. This is why it's important. He says in Titus 3 3, for we ourselves were once foolish. You're not anymore, so don't engage in foolish conversations. We were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slave to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. That was bad news. But here's the good news. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness. Oh, isn't that good news? He saved us not because we did anything great. Not because we were living perfectly. Not because we were obedient. He says, but according to His own mercy. That's good news. By the washing, the regeneration, the renewal, the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us richly, through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by His grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. The saying is trustworthy. I want you to insist on these things so those who believe in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. And now he shifts in verses 9 to 11, and he shifts because that those verses 3 to 8 are so important. And he wants us to protect that gospel message that we have. If we're going to profit the world around us, let's not engage in dissensions and divisions and quarreling about matters of the law, foolish controversies. But, and let's deal with somebody who's divisive. But instead, let's, let's live a life of God's grace that profits. You know, I was thinking, you know, this is Paul's second to last letter that he, that he wrote. The Apostle Paul, he had been ministering, I don't know, 30 plus years at least by now. He was, he was rescued from his own sinful life. He was rescued from legalism and, and all these kind of foolish controversies himself. He says, we ourselves once were foolish and disobedient, so don't go back to that kind of stuff. That's what he's saying. Don't go back to that kind of stuff. And he's nearing the end of his life. He's an old man now, and I can imagine him. He might be in prison as he's writing this letter. He's an old man, and he's thinking through, Titus, I want to equip you for the things that are really important about the church. And he condenses the most important messages about the church down to three chapters. He's had a lifetime to think about things. He's had a lifetime to give advice and counsel as an apostle to churches. So he, he wants to, Titus, here's the most important things to look after in establishing a church. Appoint elders. Make sure the grace of God is first and foremost. Make sure that the elders are grounded in teaching sound doctrine. Make sure that people know that their primary role is to adorn the doctrine of God with how they live. Make sure people know who they once were so now they can see who they are in Jesus so they want to go and do good works. And then Titus, let me warn you, just these three short chapters, I want to warn you for three verses, but don't, all these wonderful things, but don't allow division to creep in. Guard against it and then address it. God inspired Paul to write this letter, and God saw fit not only to prompt Paul to write it, but to preserve his word for the good of his people. It was important enough for Paul to address to Titus in his final days, or years at least. It's important for us to pay attention today to in the church. I see Titus as kind of this essential field guide. You know? 
the survival guide for pastors, the survival guide for churches, the central field guide. In, in one part, all these wonderful things, but some of those things, avoid that trap, avoid the snare, avoid those snakes. And then when you encounter a divisive person, do something about it and let it go on. Why? Because the church is precious to God. It's important to God. The church, listen church, we are the way, not just our church, but the church universal and every local church that trusts in Jesus, every local church that is built on the foundation of the apostles, every church like that is precious to God, important to God, and it's the primary way that God carries out his mission in the world. Did you know that? The primary way that God carries out the mission that Jesus gave to us to go and make disciples, teaching them, the primary way he does that is in and through the church, the church making disciples externally, bringing them in, teaching them, equipping them to go and send them out, make disciples, bring them in, teach them, equip them. It's the primary way that God carries out the mission of the gospel is through the church. And so that's why it's so important that we pay attention to these verses. Because God loves us. He wants what's best for us. He gives us his grace in and through the church. The good news of Jesus is of utmost importance. The message and witness of the gospel of God's grace is at stake and Paul and Titus, and we want to protect the church because the gospel is at stake. You know, the gospel, think about it, what does the gospel do? It unites people who are very different. Isn't that awesome? You see, our sin divides us. Once, we were divided in sin, and there were walls of separation that divided us. That's what we proclaim. Once, we were divided by our sins, by our passions. We were at war. We were hated, and we were hating one another. But here's the good news of the gospel. But God has broken down all those dividing walls, all those things that separate all of us, and he brought us together, united us in the gospel. And we be careful to not divide what God has brought together in his son. Amen? Well, we'll pray, and I'm going to ask the band to come up, and we'll sing together. As we do, I want you to consider, okay, Lord, how would you have me respond? Or maybe, maybe, maybe you, you, you don't find yourself engaging in these kinds of things, but how do, I, how do I respond when these things are going on? Or can I pray for the church? Can I pray for the unity of the church? And what, how can we love what God has brought together in this diversity in the church? How can we be proactive, not just to not be divisive, but to unify around the things that matter most? Well, let's pray.